Hi, this is Heidi, and this is Parent Town, a podcast where we explore stories of parenting in hopes that they can connect us and maybe make the world a little easier to understand. Everyone, welcome to Parent Town. This is Heidi. This is the last installment in a series we have dedicated to restorative practices. This topic is so close to my heart, and I appreciate all of you who have not only listened but commented, told me how much you got out of my amazing guests and their stories. Thank you. You are in for a true treat in this episode. I have the incredible honor of sipping tea and interviewing and always learning from Alexis Goff. Here is his story. I am walking this earth as the son of Susan and Dennis Goff. Amazing parents. Mm. And my father is a lawyer and my mother an educator, teacher. Her mom, my grandmother, history teacher and history professor and my dad's mother a teacher and uh, founder of a school in Jamaica Mm. and so a huge education influence in my life and so I currently doing a lot of work uh, with uh, schools uh, in education uh, with students uh, with school administrators and staff uh, um, really centering the work on equal access to quality uh, education to all students mm-hmm. of Minnesota and for sure Jamaica, which is home for me too. I know your story from Jamaica and the upbringing that you had. And I know just from knowing you and hearing your stories of growing up and your amazing family and parents, that had to somehow contribute to your how you were drawn to this word. Absolutely. So my mom uh, would take me to her English classes uh, as I was a kid. Some of my earliest memories was actually in her classroom um, and just being with these high school students um, and listening to, to them um, either love or not love uh, reading the literature books that they would do, but also got a real huge sense of my mother's deep love for I saw her passion in, in English and for teaching. And I saw lots of students, uh, um, just it was an environment that was uh, not full of control or full of like huge power dynamics or tension mm-hmm. or fear. Yeah. And mom really tried as best as she could to live like that, in her, to parent like that in her, in her household with dad. And my mom at first uh, definitely was uh, quite a punitive parent. Mm-hmm. And then she had my sister, Elizabeth, uh, um, and I, th- I think there was just a shift for her to say, like, I can't do this with um, Elizabeth anymore. I'm really not trying to do this with Alexis. So let's, I'm going to try something different. Mm-hmm. And so I really remember my mom, the first time that I messed up at school, uh, my mom told me that, uh, you know, my, she had invited my grandparents, my uncles, my aunts to... Uh, to our living room or to home to talk about what happened today. And I found that very weird um, (laughs) because this was unusual. And so, yeah, I then listened to the impact that my actions had had uh, at school on my mother and my grandmother 
um, who my grandmother didn't know had taught some of the teachers at these, you know, at these schools, uh, um, you know, from a long time ago. And just, you know, this concept of like, I'm also representing my parents, mm -hmm. right? I'm representing mm -hmm. my family. Mm -hmm. um, and I heard my mom tell me like, you know, that she is uh, um, disappointed in me and uh, that uh, she drew an analogy of a bank account. She called it a trust account. And that there had been a, a decrease or a, you know, a, a withdrawal, withdrawal, as you go, yes, <laughs> uh, in, in the trust account. Mm -hmm. um, and that I would have to be doing a lot to, to regain that trust. Wow. And that caught me real deep. And I remember vividly just asking my mom, could you just beat me and get this over with? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, let, let's just do this, you yeah. know, because that's, it's easy. Mm -hmm. um, it just happens and we get, you know, we go back to normal within a day or so. And so that started, I, was, I don't know, I think around eight or so, that started a very different way that my mom um, ran, ran this house. Mm -hmm. And the huge part of that is I was able to also tell my mom in some circumstances, like, you also came at me real, real hard because like, I don't know why you were upset, but I don't, I feel I didn't really do anything to upset you. Why were you so angry? So that really hurt me too, mom. And that's so unusual yeah. in a Jamaican household with that power dynamic. So I, I tell folks that my, my mom never used that. She didn't know of the phrase restorative practices. She didn't know the phrase uh, circle, you know, or, or not just the phrase, but the practice. Mm. Uh, but that is what that happened in that living room that I was introduced to at a very young age. Wow. Uh, that's a great story. So that caught your attention and it kind of shifted your cells a little and it was something that you decided like this is my life's work a little. Absolutely. Like this is like what I want to do. Absolutely. I mean it shifted the power dynamic or my understanding of uh, the power dynamic, uh, the potential, possi the, po the possibility of a shift in power dynamics between adults and children, yes. between parents and, and, and their kids and between educators and their students. And yeah. so what I internalized from that is that I should be given feedback. My voice um, is important, but um, a child's voice is also important and, and more important. And that I should really be listening to what their, their feedback is and their critique for me uh -huh. um, and be driven by that. Uh -huh. um, and so that, I would say, is one of the major uh, lessons that I learned through that experience uh, is uh, to give give children the opportunity to to give their side of the story to be heard mm -hmm. um, and and not shut that down immediately. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's countercultural in, in mm -hmm. Jamaica in a lot of spaces. Um, and I definitely think it's countercultural in the educational system. Absolutely. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about that maybe, sure. about your work in education and the schools that you work with. What would you like to see differently? Mm -hmm. I would love to see... Uh, us dismantle the power and control that is, I think, the forces that exist in our classroom. Mm -hmm. I would love our learning experiences to be uh, parent and student-led and driven uh, based on interests uh, um, and passions uh, um, and requests uh, uh, and not, not because uh, the state has decided that this is a book. Well, in Jamaica, for example, we yeah. go as far as to say these are the eight books that you will read everybody so we have a state we have a country wide curriculum so that's jamaica here it says like you know you must do two models on um u.s literature for example so there is some discretion um and i just i think that 
I know as a child, I can remember very deeply that the reasons I went to school um, is because of the stuff I was very interested in. I was very interested in literature and I was also just very interested in um, socializing yeah. <laughs> and having fun, right? So, what? Uh, right. How dare you? Uh, and so, I think if we were all allowed to be human in a school, things would be very, very different. I would mm-hmm. love uh, the adults in the building to be able to be as authentic as they can be and as real as they can be and not feel as though the title of teacher like means that they're a subhuman or they're not yeah. human at all, right? Yeah. And they don't bring themselves into it. Uh, and I, Because I have seen and felt when educators open that door for to mm-hmm. show students like, you know, who they really are and that uh-huh. they're human. I've seen just amazing relationships being born out of that. So that's where I would really start. Take out this huge power and control dynamic. And I think it means that we must, as adults, like just let go of our ego. We're willing to be held accountable. We'll be willing to, you know, to be adaptable and shift. Yeah. And, and be um, uncomfortable. Absolutely. Like that's Because it's human. Yeah. In that we model, you know, I think what it is to be human for, for our kids. Absolutely. What are your feelings about bringing restorative practices as a curriculum to education programs at higher institutions. Like in St. Paul, I can think, where do people go to college for education? Like St. Kate's, Mm -hmm. Concordia, like all of these. Hamlin, all of them. What are your feelings about that? Because I could see both sides of the coin. (laughs) I think that any institution that is, I think, really serious about uh, bringing restorative into their climate and culture has to... Um, be committed to embedding it in their systems policies and the way they walk as an institution. And so what I, what I see a lot of is uh, institutions that have brought in uh, restorative practices in a very limited um, way, not in the expansive way that it is, um, and not in the framing of that this is really a countercultural to our current culture, countercultural way of walking on this earth. And so I think it's a great idea. Yes, have I engaged with uh, heads of education programs uh, to encourage them to or discuss with them the possibility of bringing restorative practices as a, as a curriculum or a part of their uh, program? Absolutely. Because one of the major things I keep hearing from teachers is like, why have I just been introduced to this? A very dear friend of mine, an English teacher in northern Minnesota, said, like, I was taught in my teacher ed program that my only role in a classroom is to deliver the information and knowledge that I know. And it had nothing to do with uh, relationship building. Mm. That was for the school counselor. That was for the AP and the principal. And that was for dean of students or support staff, social worker, not the teacher. Yeah. And she's been a teacher five years. So this is not like, this is 2000 and... Yeah. 10, 11, 12 curriculum here, right? Right. It's not a side note. There was one administrator at a higher ed institution that uh, really liked this idea. He reached for this massive stack of paper, put it on his desk. I mean, it's like just a long piece of paper. It was larger than legal paper. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit thick. And you're just going through, going through and going through. And he looks in at something and then he's like, yeah, actually, you know, I think we could fit in restorative here. Uh-huh. And I was like, what is, I was like, what is that? Like, you can just tell us what this is. He's like, this is this, the Minnesota State uh, uh, Standards for Teacher Ed. And I said, so can you just, where is relationship? We actually told him the same story I just told you of my friend about like what they've been, what she was taught. Uh-huh. And he said, actually, the way he reads it is that there is only one module 
in the state required curriculum for a teacher ed program that deals with relationships uh, or the school climate and culture oh in their classroom. One. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I have always worked in education somewhere. And I kind of understand how the sausage is made. And I was able to do some lobbying for public schools. Mm. So I see what goes on with a very few amount of people Mm -hmm. having these really important issues to somehow fix or create. And it's interesting. And it's also completely frightening and disheartening to see that as well. But as a parent Mm. and having three kids Mm. in school, that to me, it's shocking yeah, for them to, to, to have that opportunity, right? To spend time with our children more so than our parents uh, and to think uh, that uh, in their training, they, uh, they haven't spent a ton of time or they may, not, they may leave their training thinking that it's not really my role to build a relationship mm. with the students in my classroom. Mm-hmm. It's really just for me to give them the information that I know mm-hmm. is deeply disconcerting. Uh, so in that background, I'm like, yes, absolutely, I think that restorative practices having a place in teacher ed programs is phenomenal. But what I think is a requirement for these programs to have is that then their the structure of their classes would have to also change. The structure of the dynamic between the dean of the college or the dean of the school of education and their students would also have to change. The mm-hmm. dynamic between the board of trustees of that institution and the student organizations would also have to change if we're really serious about it. Mm-hmm. And it not, can't just be I'm giving you one course mm-hmm. during your two years here or four years if you're doing it at the bachelor's level and you will read some sort of text uh, and mm-hmm. we might do a couple of circles in it and, and say, yeah, And there you go, good luck. Yeah. yeah. Like, we need to, I need to see it as a student if I'm now struggling. Yeah. You as a professor now need to come to me and say, I noticed that you've I don't know, missed your, your deadlines for your assignments for the last five assignments. So what's up, Heidi? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on? Instead of reporting me to the dean of students for the higher ed and say, like, this, this kid's not doing super well, academic probation. You know, like, that's, yeah. we need to change that. So I went to, I went to college here, and uh, I legitimately did not know that, uh, I, I kid you not, I did not know about citations. Jamaica, I copy-pasted all the time. Um, there, we didn't know about APA, MLA, any yeah, of that. Right. So my freshman year, my second semester in a psychology class, I handed in a paper that a lot of it was copy and pasted. Mm-hmm. And I'm promising you, Heidi, my, my heart rate did not go up. Yeah. I did not say, I hope and pray that they don't find out. <laughs> like, I They're sent like, it in. Yeah. I got an email back uh, from the professor saying, like, you know, this is plagiarism and the evidence of plagiarism is damning. Um, and I'm going to refer you to, I can't remember, the academic provost. Uh, and what ended up happening, without any, there was no discussion. No one called me in. And like, hey, no do you one... know about this PS? Right. Right. Like, can you explain what happened? Explain yourself. Right? On which case, I would have told you, can you explain to me what I did wrong? <laughs> right? Or where I can get help because there are writing centers in this institution, right? Without talking to anybody, the policy was giving a D for that assignment, failing that course. And so I was immediately on academic probation for the next semester. So that, to me, if that institution starts to talk about wanting to bring in restorative practices... Yeah. I would say, well, show me what you're doing to support your students yep. uh, uh, with high support and high accountability. Don't only just have this as a, as a course. What I would add to that in, in a, from a Jamaican context is we're not necessarily huge on, like, we have to learn this right away or get this right away. We're, we can be a very laid-back people. 
But we are very huge because of our history of colonialization mm -hmm. on control and power. We are engaging in a discussion now on a national level in Jamaica about that concept that we really have a hard time with. Because of my position and age and gender, I mean, I don't get to tell you what to do. Mm. Those are some of the forces that we face, as you said, here in the U.S. and in yeah. Jamaica too. When you think about your work here in Minnesota, what could we do better to engage the larger community outside of our schools? How do we bring in those legislators in those districts? I have a simple answer that um, has been surprisingly hard to get schools and districts to do. And that is an important, you use the word, I can't remember the words, but like it illustrated the bringing them in, right? And then legislators bringing them in. I think schools need to go out, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like I really, one of the simple things I've been trying to tell administrators uh, is, what you all doing in the summer? Have you taken part in any community event or organization or volunteered or helped out, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be, in the communities that are most represented in your school? Mm -hmm. What are you doing in the summer? Are mm -hmm. you spending time outside of the school hours, like in those communities too? Mm -hmm. You go out there and do that. Or how about we do parent teachers like in community centers? Let's not do it only in our um, school and in the gymnasium mm -hmm. or wherever mm -hmm. it is. Like, let us not keep saying, come in. Because you don't come in, then we parent bash, right? Then yeah. we say you're not invested, right? Yeah, right. Let's have some of these parent teachers at conferences at various times of the day, mm -hmm. at various days of the week. Mm -hmm. Let's look at a Saturday. Let's look at yeah. it starting at 6, 7 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Like, Students and our parents are coming from all situations and, and experiences. Absolutely. Let's have that meeting in a community center, in the yeah. senior living facility that the grandparents are in. You said what I loved is bringing in the legislators. The legislators, we need to stop centering the discussions that take place with education at the capital and definitely invite those legislators to the schools and into the communities themselves. Yeah. And so I think one of the reasons we're here is because we've become so disconnected. So we need to get more proximate to the ground. What's on your heart as far as stories right now in the community around restorative practices? In the last two weeks, I've been uh, trying to... So this is my first year not full-time in a school. And a major reason... For me deciding I was going to do that is I wanted to provide space uh, if ever folks needed it uh, to uh, educators of color to support them through navigate and support uh, um, tell them they're not crazy through their experience in schools mm. um, because I think that uh, I know that that happens a lot it happened with me and uh, so I had to leave and take a break the last two weeks uh, I've been truthfully sitting down bearing witness uh, listening to four black restorative practitioners, coordinators, uh, or dean of students uh, in schools throughout the metro. And so what's on my mind? I feel as though there's a lot of hurt going on at all levels in schools. Mm. What is a huge thing for me about restorative is uh, that it gave me my ability to self-disclose or to give as much or as little as I wanted about myself. And in the spaces I've been in, restorative practices has been only brought in when something has happened with students um, and not a good thing has happened with students. And uh, 
I've also seen where institutions, schools uh, that are saying that they're doing rest uh, they're doing restorative work because they only view this only with students, uh, revert back to the same power dynamics or the same systems of accountability when it relates to like their, the adults in the building. Hmm. So for the restorative practitioner who is, or the dean of students or AP or the teacher who is bringing up like this, we need to do things a bit differently. We need to really, how about we do this? How about we really listen to the student? How about we don't suspend the student? Um, because here are the consequences that could take place, the very immediate ones that, that would take place. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I've just been very uh, much aware of the system's ability. If you're not seeing this as a way of life and a complete countercultural shift uh, to revert back to exercising their power and control mm -hmm. over people. And so we know that the students are hurting and because we have framed this as it's all about the student, it has been at the sacrifice of a lot of adults in the building. We've just been told we'd leave things at the door. I have just been really upset about like, I've just said it quite a few times to, to administrators in the last couple of weeks. You attempt as much as possible to listen to the experiences and voice of your students. You can't be doing that at the expense of, it, of, of your staff. Like you have to create the same process for the staff and the students know. Mm -hmm. And so just yesterday, I went to visit a colleague she is the only um, black woman in that school. And uh, when I went into her office, which normally happens a lot, there are five, six students in there. And uh, this is clearly their hub, mm. right? This, and she started this year. This is their hub. So the, my friend asked them, my colleague asked them to, if they could just give us an, you know, a few minutes. Um, they came out, went out into the general area, lobby area. We had a conversation. Then I left, I was just waiting, you know, in the lobby too. And so I'm just listening to the students and their concern is that Miss So-and-so is, um, is really struggling. One actually, you know, looked over to me and was like, are you here to really talk to, let's say, Miss Thompson? I said, yeah. They're like, well, can you ask her if she's okay? Because we're really wondering because she has not looked herself. That's almost verbatim. And she is struggling yeah. and she yeah. is trying to maintain it all mm -hmm. seem all put together for her kids and the kids literally on the other side of this door know it yeah and so we have a building that everybody knows it yeah <laughs> everybody knows it yeah but we are for some reason we put on this like everything is good fake it yeah. be a facade yeah and it's not, I don't think we can call ourselves a restorative school if that's what we are mm -hmm. doing. So mm -hmm. that's really like very present, yeah. right? That was just yesterday and yeah. it's been the last couple of weeks. Thank like, you for sharing that though. Yeah, we need, it, needs to, it needs to expand and it needs to expand to every living person in that yes. building. It really does. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you for that. I think we forget about that. It affects all systems. Yeah. Two parents, I spoke with her this morning, two parents also called her to say their two daughters had asked them just to check in with wow. Miss okay. Thompson. Yeah. You know, like it's every rung of layer in this yeah. school and in this community yeah. is affected by when we are just all kind of walking zombies. Yeah. 
But we all know we're walking zombies because yes. we all are carrying this with us. And I am just like, what will it take for us just to be like, yo, I am struggling. Yep. I'm having a rough, rough time. Or I am so happy I am pregnant, right? Like just yeah. being able to yep. bring that into these walls, I think would be revolutionary. Thank you for sharing that. I just really want to say that restorative practices, if it's truly about relationship, it has to be always about relationship. We can't be selective about it. And the most amazing stories that I have heard or witnessed myself has been when um, people are spending more time in community with each other and building community with each other that when something happens and there is tension or a weird dynamic between two or there may have been harm that takes place between a group of people, mm -hmm. um, that there is a deep understanding already mm -hmm. that there is love and respect in the foundation of any of this. Mm -hmm. And that there is maybe fear that a relationship might be broken or severely affected but that it's not questioned about if I am seen by this person. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not to be limited to just, there's nothing to restore if there wasn't a relationship in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and I also want to say that I always get asked in trainings or talks or whatever around restorative practices in schools, when are we allowed not to be restorative? I always get that. It's always about like what happens when we've tried everything now can you know now can we revert back to suspending and stuff and what i've told folks is that i believe who we are as an educator is how we are with our most challenging student that is what defines who we are as an educator and so it doesn't matter if you spend all the time in the world with a student in the classroom that, I don't know, is stereotypically great and is out there and social and plays instruments and mm -hmm. stays back in your classroom and you help them out and they tidy up together and that stuff. That, to me, does not indicate the type of um, educator you are. It is what are you doing with that kid that, yeah, constantly is not there or is always at the back of the classroom, or is always seeming disengaged, or is the one that just seems really pissed off today uh -huh. and yesterday and uh -huh. last week. Uh -huh. What are you doing with that student? How are uh -huh. you being with that student? And if you are routinely being the person that says, I gotta go, then I think that might be more indicative of who you are as an, as an educator. And it's tough, which is why I go back to, you should be able to then go to your principal or to your colleagues and say, I need a break today because if mm -hmm. I see that kid right now, I'm going to mm -hmm. say get out of mm -hmm. my classroom, which is a human reaction. Mm -hmm. So I think for us to really be the kind of educators I believe we all want to be, I don't think people get into a classroom to control kids. I really mm -hmm. don't. They don't, I don't think they would say that. Mm -hmm. But it's what happens. Um, I think if we're serious about that, then we just have to be human. Mm. Such a pleasure sitting here and chatting with you, having tea. Yes. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Please like us and share the podcast on Facebook with your community. We really appreciate it. You can subscribe, listen, and comment to Parent Town where you listen to all your podcasts. The best gift you can do is giving us a nice rating on iTunes that really helps people find us. 
you have an idea for a show, we would love to hear from you. Thank you to Greg Ward at Studio Arcade and to Park States for our theme music. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Heidi, and this is Parent Town.